And we've been looking at uh, these beginnings as we've studied through systematic theology and we've, we've looked at uh, the creation itself and what the scripture teaches us concerning the creation. Uh, we've looked at uh, particularly the creation of man, the fact that he is created in the image of God uh, and his uh, purpose in that, that special uh, part of the creation, the specialness of the creation of man there that we saw in chapter 2 that we looked at on Sunday afternoon. Now today, I want you to turn to chapter 3 here, and we're going to see where sin enters in. And this is the beginning of uh, the doctrine of sin that we'll be getting into. There'll be, we'll look at this probably three, over three or four different messages that we'll be studying concerning sin, its impact uh, and and how it's uh, displayed throughout the scriptures, and how it's displayed in our lives, what it causes in us, all that the scripture teaches us concerning uh, the reality of sin. But we see its beginning here in chapter three. Uh, again, why Genesis is so important, so integral to the the doctrine that we believe, because uh, it is the beginning of these things and the sin nature in man uh, is found here in chapter number three. This is where this begins and Paul speaks of it in, in Romans chapter five. The Lord speaks of it uh, as well in reference to the gospel and how the gospel is applied to us, why it is necessary for us to have a gospel. This, is, this all comes back here to Genesis chapter three and what took place here. This is not an allegory. Uh, this is not a, a uh, story to give us a good lesson. This is a historical narrative of what took place in the Garden of Eden with Adam, with Eve, and breaking the law of God that God had given them there. Now, Adam was, God created the garden. After he created man, he created the garden to put man in. And uh, it is there that he would present to him Eve, taking out of his side, and made woman for him. And they are married there before the Lord at the end of chapter number 2. And she, Adam there is given a help meet for him there. And then they, they are there in the garden. He is given charge of the Garden of Eden here. And he is to tend it and to keep it. That's his purpose there. But it is in this charge that God gives him concerning the garden here that he commands him, he gives him one law. And this law we find written here, verse 16, verse 17 of chapter 2, when he says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now listen to what he said there. The day, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat it, you will die. That, that's, that's what he told him there. Now, Adam is still given charge to keep it. He's still given charge to tend it. But he is not to eat of that fruit. Now, we come to chapter 3, and this, this command was given to Adam before Eve was given to him. And so he has this command, he has this charge from God before Eve comes on the scene. 
But now God presents Eve to him at the end of chapter number 2, and then chapter number 3 comes up here. Now, again, as we were talking about on Sunday, I do not know how long it was between chapter 2 and chapter 3. By no means was it 4.6 billion years old. Okay, By no means was it that long. Uh, it may have been a few days. It may have been a week. It may have been a few years. I don't know. I don't, I don't think it was very long uh, because it's, I believe it's included in Adam's lifetime here, this time before the fall. Uh, but nevertheless, it, it, I don't believe it's very long, but I don't know exactly how long it was before chapter 3 intakes, before it, it's now a part of the narrative. But he simply takes us into chapter 3 and says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, from our perspective, and this is something that has always stood out to me, uh, if a snake comes up to me, I don't even like being around snakes anyway. You know, I, I usually stay clear of them. They don't scare me as long as I see them. If I see them, I'm fine. It's those ones that surprise you. That's the ones that scare me. And then I'm kind of high-stepping to get out of wherever I'm at uh, if there's a snake around. I don't like, don't like the rascals. That we find the reason why here in chapter number 3, there, there is a natural, a natural uh, fear, if you will, put in us because of our natural hatred that, that's put in us because of this. But there's this, this uh, reality of, of snakes in itself would be an issue. For me, but uh, if one came up and started talking to me, I'd be running a little faster, <laughs> right? I mean, that's just not normal. That's just that's just no. That's not how things are done. So, what is it? Why is it? That's something that always stood out. Why is it that Eve didn't? Why why wasn't she alarmed? Well, none of these other animals talk to me. What's this rascal doing? You know. Why, why wasn't she alarmed at the fact that this snake began to speak to her? Um, now, I, I think it was John Gill, maybe, or maybe Matthew Poole, one of, one of the two that I was reading after them in, concerning this this week, and one of them made the point that, listen, this was before sin. This is before, as far as Adam and Eve were concerned, this is before sin had entered into them. And so there was no fear. In them, there was there was no hesitation that was put in them, and so something it was just it would just be uh, curious if something came up to you that wouldn't normally speak and begin to talk to, you. and it would not be abnormal in the sense that likely there were angels that were visiting them in the garden. We know God visited them in the garden and walked with them in the cool of the day. And so with having spiritual beings entering into where they're at and talking with them and walking with them, it wouldn't be too far-fetched maybe for an animal to speak up. You know? And so that, they made that point there. I believe it may have been John Gill that made that point, but he made, he made the point that it, wouldn't be, it was not something that would be fearful to them to have an animal speak to them because this was before fear. Because fear comes because of sin. That's the result of sin. And so it was, this was before fear. It would be, 
it would be curious, it would be inquisitive to have an animal come speak to you. And so that kind of made sense to me that he, he, he made that point. But, he, but he's, here the scripture describes to us the serpent is more subtle than any beast of the field. Uh, now, understand when the scripture is describing this was a serpent being used here, but it wasn't necessarily the serpent itself that was speaking. It was Satan speaking through the serpent. And this is what we find out as you go on in the in chapter number 3 here in regards to this. But this was Satan speaking through uh, the serpent. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And so he, he asked Eve, he asked Eve a question here about the Word of God. Particularly about the Word of God. Now, Satan comes here in the form of a serpent. He begins to question her about God's Word. We see this not only as the attack that he brings against Eve here in chapter 3 with this temptation of her, but it's the same thing he did with Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. It's the same, the same mode of operation. He comes with the questioning of God's Word. He, he comes lifting up what he knows of it and then twisting it just enough to get his point or get his meaning out of it that he wants. Somewhere between chapter 2 and verse 1 of chapter 3 here, or it may even be what took place here in verse 1, chapter number 3, Satan rebels against God. Now, Satan was created, his, he, he was named Lucifer to begin with, he was the, the covering cherub, the scripture calls him, uh, believed to be the one, and we'll get into this a little bit more when we get over into that particular doctrine, the study of the angels and, and Satan's place among them and so on. Uh, we, we see that seemingly he had something to do with those that were gathered around the throne of God that Isaiah 6 describes, those seraphim that with the six wings and they were gathered around the throne of God crying, holy, holy. He was... He is called the covering cherub, and most believe that meant he was one that would have been over top, covering the throne of God. Uh, that being the case, we read over in Isaiah, Isaiah talks about him being lifted up in himself. And he, he seeing himself lifted up, decides, you know what, I'm going to put my throne above God's throne. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be... I'm going to be better than God. I'm going to have more power. I'm going to put myself above Him. And so what Lucifer does, or Satan as he would later be called, what he would do was, first of all, deny his own creation. He would deny his own creation. And secondly, would lift himself up above, even not even on an equal plane with God, but above God. And so when we come to chapter 3 and verse 1, I don't know when that took place. Isaiah uh, 14 there, he's telling us, or is it Isaiah? Oh, let me go back there and look. See, I, can't even, I didn't write this down, and so I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm going to mention the wrong uh, name or wrong number if I'm not careful. 
Isaiah 14, verse number 12. Yes, that's where this is at. Uh, Isaiah 14, verse 12. He says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened, opened not the house of his prisoners? Here, this is what was in Satan's heart. This was the rebellion of Lucifer or Satan before the throne of God. And Isaiah is describing what was in his heart. When he did this, he's describing what was in Satan's heart. Now, this may be what is happening here in chapter 3 and verse number 1. This may be this rebellion. It may have happened before that. I don't know. I don't know when this, this took place. But definitely, sin begins with Lucifer, with Satan. It begins with him. That rebellion against God, that's where that sin begins. Then he comes to Eve in the garden, and the first thing he does as a serpent in the form of a serpent, a four-legged serpent, by the way. Uh, apparently all serpents had four legs at the beginning of the creation, which is really, really interesting. I'll, I'll tell you this little tidbit in a minute when we get to that point, but... Uh, they all had four legs at that time. And uh, he speaks to Eve, and the first thing he brings up is questioning God's word. What does God's word say? Yea, God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And it says here in verse 2, The woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it. That's correct. Neither shall ye touch it. God didn't say that. Did he? He didn't say that. Adam still had charge of, of tending to it. He still had charge of taking care of that tree. He just was not permitted to eat of that tree. But Eve now, she has a she has more added to the command. And it may be her own fault for not listening to Adam's what Adam told her God said. Then again, it may have been Adam adding to it to keep her safe, you know. You know what? We're not allowed to eat of this tree right and matter of fact, don't even get near it. Don't even touch this thing. <laughs> That's likely more what, what it was, right? Uh, but whatever the case was, she had added, or there was addition to God's command. And then she says, lest we die, or lest you die. That word lest, it carries with it 
an if. It's a little bit of a question. It's almost like saying, maybe, probably, most likely, we'll die, you see. And so there, there's, it, it adds to it a little bit of a question, saying this. And so this, this, is, this is her response to the serpent or to Satan. He picks up on this right away. He recognizes this right away. And he, he takes this, this from Eve and immediately turns it back. And it says, verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know. Now he, now he turns it around and says, Listen, the only reason God's given you this law is he's trying to hold you back from being all you can be. You could, if, you would just, if you would just do what you wanted to do, if you would just, if you would just follow your heart and do what you want to do, you would have it so much better. God, He's just a cosmic killjoy. His purpose here is simply to hold you back. That's the only reason He's telling you not to eat of this fruit. Because if you had eaten of this fruit, everything would be so much better for you. Why, if you ate of this fruit, you would be as God's, knowing good and evil. Well, guess what? They would be like God in that sense that they would know good and evil, but it would not be to their benefit. Not at this juncture, anyway. It would not be to their benefit. They will die as a result, just as God declared. But Satan, he offers, he brings, he takes the twist that she has in what she has given as the Word of God he takes that twist and he then gives the temptation out. He twists the word of God around. Ah, that's not really what's going to happen. You're not really going to die. You're not really going to die. God's just holding you back. Notice what he goes on to say there, verse, verse number 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, when your, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Eve, you just need to, you just need to follow your heart here. You just need to do what you want to do. And you'll be better off. He promises her a prophet. From her disobedience. He promises her a prophet. From her sin. And there is no sin. That you will ever profit from. There is no sin that you will ever profit from. It might appear. It might appear in the short run. That you're getting something out of it. It might appear in the short run. That you're getting something good from it. It might appear in the short run that you're making some sort of profit in doing this sin. But I will assure you, 100% of the time, sin will always cost you. It will always cost you. Sin is a destroyer. 
Every single time. There is no profit. There is no profit in sin. The Lord says, what does it profit a man? To gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Sin has no profit. Sin has no profit in it. And so that, that's exactly what he promises her. Oh, if you would do this, if you would, if, you would, if you would disobey God in this and you would eat, God's just trying to hold you back. If you'll do that, you'll be just like Him. You'll know good and evil. Verse 6, the Bible says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired. Now it's before she couldn't even touch it or she might die. Now, because of Satan's lie, suddenly it's the best thing out there. Now, if I eat that fruit, I, it's going to make me wise. And so... It was before she was afraid of this tree, and now it was good for food. It was beautiful to look upon. A tree to be desired to make one wise. This is exactly what sin does in us. When we're looking at it from a, a rational heart, a rational mind, when we're looking at it from the perspective of God, we can see the sin and we can see the, the, the depravity in it. We can see the wickedness in it. We can see the filth in it. We can see the dirt in it. It's all over it. And we don't want any part of it. No, no. Look, you see it. It's, it's there. I don't, want, I don't want that in me. Do you see what that does? Do you see what that causes? Do you see how that destroys? And we, we can see it. It's all over. We don't want any part of it. But when the temptation comes in, when it's either by Satan's hand or by someone else's hand or by our own imaginations, whatever it is, when we, we give it place in our hearts, that we begin to, to consider it, we begin to look at it, we begin to, to turn it and manipulate it and twist it around, suddenly that thing that was filthy, that thing that was dirty, that thing that was wicked, that thing that would never have any part of my life, suddenly now, oh, that looks really nice. Oh, it's, I believe that would be good for food for me. I believe, I believe that thing right there is just absolutely beautiful. Oh, if I had that, I would have all of my greatest dreams. And suddenly what was awful, what was wicked, what was filthy, what was disgusting to us before is now all the most beautiful thing ever. If I just had that. In 1 John chapter 2, Go back and look with me at this passage. 1 John chapter number 2 and verse number 16. 1 John 2 and verse number 16. 
Listen to what John writes here concerning the world and the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, all that is a part of this this carnal world, all that is worldly, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. All sin, all that is a part of this world, all that is worldly, it has these three draws in it. These three things that draw us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Now look, I love this. I mean... God knows what he's doing. He's putting his word together. Look again. Look again at verse number 6 of our text. Genesis 3, verse number 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, pride of life. Those three, right there in the same, see, it all, that's what, that's what John is talking about right here. All of that, all of sin is summed up in those three things. And we see all three, and this is, how he, this is why he knows this, is because all three of them are present there as Eve is being tempted by Satan. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all of it right there. As she sees suddenly her whole her whole imagination is fixated on now this thing that Satan has presented to her that maybe there is something to what he's saying. And it says she took it. She took of the fruit thereof. Now, what again, what was it that she added? What was it she added? Even if we touch it, we could die. Even if we touch it. Now, her thinking's been changed by the servant about this truth. Right? And now, before, she didn't touch the stuff. But now suddenly she's taken the fruit. And can you see how she was taking that fruit? Right? Is it going to do what Adam said it's going to do? She takes the fruit. She don't die. She don't die. First of all, that's not what God said would happen. Right? He said when they eat it. She took the fruit. She didn't die. Well, maybe this serpent knows what he's talking about. She ain't of the fruit. She still didn't die. In that moment. And then she gives to Adam. And he ate also. And gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. Now, I don't know where Adam was when the serpent was talking to her. 
Maybe he was just as mesmerized. Maybe he was there and was just as mesmerized by what the serpent, the fact that a serpent was talking to him. Maybe that's, now the Bible says very clearly he was not, he was not tempted. He was not beguiled as Eve was. He wasn't tricked at all. He knew exactly what was going to take place when they ate of that fruit. He knew what was going to happen to him. Adam knew this day he was going to die. He knew that. He chose to eat of the fruit. He willingly, he was not tempted at all to it. He still saw the filth on it. He still saw the depravity on it. He still saw the wickedness in it. He still saw all of that. That he recognized, he knew what it was going to cost him. But he chose Eve over God. And his that if she's going to die, I'm going to die with her. So I don't know where Adam was in this. I don't know if he was there or if he came up afterwards or if she brought it to him, whatever the case may be. But Adam knew what he was doing. Adam knew what he was doing when he ate of the fruit. He knew this is disobedience to God. Adam knew, I'm going to die because of this. And Adam ate of the fruit. And when Adam ate, the scripture tells us the eyes of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. Now, just like the serpent said, they knew good and evil. They knew what took place there. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They tried to cover their nakedness. And it was not good enough. First of all, our works cannot take away our sin. Our works, the things that we do, cannot remove the guilt of sin from us. And that's evident because even though now they're covered... They covered themselves with those fig leaves. They sewed fig leaves together and they covered themselves with those fig leaves to cover their nakedness. When God comes in the garden there at evening, they're hiding from Him. Because they, they know that, yeah, we're covered now, but there's still something wrong. What was wrong? They had spiritually died. They were spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. They would physically die now at the end of their lives. God would bless them with many more years, but they would now die physically. They died spiritually immediately. Scripture tells us this. And then they would die physically. Whereas God created them, in the creation, He created them good. There was no sin there. And sin, death comes because of sin. The wages of sin is death. Right? If there's no sin, there's no death. And so now because of sin, now they, are, they have died spiritually. They are covering themselves, trying to hide from the face of God. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. It says there in verse 9, The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? 
Where are they? Did God not know where he was at? God knew what he'd done. He knew exactly where Adam was at. So why did he ask the question, where art thou? Every other time, I can just see it in my mind's eye that every time God came into the garden, you know Adam was right there. Lord, I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy you're here. He was right there, fellowshipping with his father. Right there, present with him. But this day, this day was different. God comes in and Adam's hiding. He's not out rushing out to see his father. He's not out longing for his presence. He's not out there desirous of the fellowship once again at the end of that day with his Lord. Now he's hiding. He's covering himself up. He don't want to be found. Where art thou? Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. And I was afraid. For sin there is no fear. And now, now fear enters in. Why does the fear enter in? Because he knows. He's seen it. He's an eyewitness to it. He knows the holiness of his God. And he knows the one law that God had given him, he's disobeyed. And he knows the reality, the punishment of that is death. He's trying to fix it himself by covering himself with the fig leaves. But he's hiding. Because he knows the fig leaves aren't enough. He knows it's not enough. He knows it's not good enough to cover him. And so he's still hiding. He says, I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman, the woman whom thou gavest me to be with me rather, she gave me the tree and I did it. Did you eat of that fruit, Adam? It's Eve. Now listen, uh, read that very carefully there. He didn't blame Eve. He blamed God. It's this woman you gave me. It's this woman you gave me, Lord. She gave me a fruit and I ate. He blamed God for it. How many times do you hear people that blame God for their sin?
You hear people blaming other people a lot. You hear people blaming society a lot. You hear, you hear people blaming the families. But on occasion, just on occasion, not very often, on occasion you'll hear a few that say, that's God. He's done this to me. I've only heard a few in my life, only a few, that's actually blamed God. But Adam was the first. It's just one you gave me, Lord. She gave me the fruit and I did eat. And the Lord said, Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I didn't eat. I, it wasn't my fault. I was tricked. That serpent said, said these great things, and he told me that, that all this good stuff that I would get, if I, and, and it wasn't my fault, he tricked me. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, Thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. It's at this point, all serpents are cursed because of Satan entering this one serpent. Now, there's, it's a twofold discussion going on here. He's talking to the serpent physically and he's talking to the serpent in Satan spiritually. He's talking concerning him as well. So as he's as he's giving this curse here, it's on both sides. It's to the it's to the actual serpents that this curse applies, but it's also to Satan that he's applying this to as well. So as you read through this you'll see both of them being spoken of here as he's given this curse. But he curses all, first of all, he curses all snakes and their legs are taken from them at this point. Now, the real interesting thing to me is, um, is a few years ago I was watching a documentary and they were, and, and in this particular documentary, uh, they were talking about how world religion has spread throughout the world and how all of these different world religions, especially the ancient world religions, they all have the same, they all tell the same stories. Every one of them. They tell the exact same stories. Now, the, the names of their gods are different based upon the languages where they, they're at, but they all tell the same stories about the same gods. And these archaeologists were talking about how, they, how it was in the Mayan culture and how it was in the Egyptian culture and how it was in the Chinese culture. And, and they were looking at all these ancient cultures around the world and they were saying, wow, this is so amazing. Somewhere, sometime, these people traveled around and, and, and heard these stories from one another and they've all made their own version. No, that's not what happened. Uh, the Bible tells us, Genesis chapter number 10, Genesis chapter 11, after the flood of Noah in the plain of Shinar there, uh, 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 Nimrod built that Tower of Babel. There, it is there that all world religion, all false world religion starts. 
There in that plain of Shinar, God confounds the languages there in chapter number 11. And they all depart from that place. He sends them out into different portions of the world. And from there they go into those different places of the world and they carry that religion that they got there from Nimrod at Babel. They carry that religion with them to every place in the world today. And so when we see these stories concerning these, diff these same gods in these different places and they're telling the same stories about the same gods, it's because they all came from the same place. That's where it comes from. And one of the ones that they were amazed by that, and, and they said it's in every culture, every ancient culture, this same story is told about this snake god. And this snake god, in the beginning, had four legs. And especially the Mayans illustrated it really well on the sides of, of their temples, even. They showed the snake god with the four legs, and, and it just looks like a serpent with four little legs on him. And, and, and that's, that snake god, the, the serpent god, with the four legs, he made the big God mad, and when he made the big God mad, the big God took away all of his legs, and so he had to crawl around on his belly from that point on. And they said, that's the same story the Egyptians tell, it's the same story that the ancient uh, Europeans told, it's the same story that the Chinese told, it's the same story, the Mayans tell them the exact same story. That's just amazing that that story is, is the same story. Well, it's because it all comes from the same place. We're told here in Genesis chapter 3 where that comes from. As God would take the legs of the serpents and curse them to crawl upon the ground. And so this, this curse comes. And he says, verse uh, 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Now the serpent will be made an enemy to people. The seed of the, the, particularly here he speaks of the seed of the woman. Now, there is the, the reality of human life and the, the natural fear or natural hatred of snakes that man has. That's, that's part of this. But it goes a lot deeper here because here it mentions her seed. And women do not have seed. They don't have seed. The man has the seed. woman has the egg. The, the, this, this is her seed. So what, what is this that he's talking about here? This is, this is an unusual statement that God is making here. It is that there is a, 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 uh, a hatred here. That's what that word enmity means, to be made an enemy. There's going to be a hatred here between thee and and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Now listen to what he says it will happen. It shall bruise. The woman's seed is going to bruise the head of the serpent. The woman's seed is going to crush the serpent. Is what's being spoken of there. And thou, the serpent, is going to bruise his heel, the seed of the woman's, his heel will be bruised. So he's going to receive a deadly bite, but he's going to, in that deadly bite, he's going to crush the head of the serpent. Now this, is, this is a prophecy here that God has given concerning this reality of sin. Sin has come in Adam and Eve's life here. 
This is the entrance of sin into mankind. Paul says in Romans chapter number 5, he describes this for us in verse number 12, that this, sin, this is where sin enters in to us, enters into the line of Adam. That all of those, all of Adam's seed, which is the natural way, all of Adam's seed will now be cursed with this sin nature because of this sin entering in. But because of this prophecy that's given here, what God is declaring is He is giving in this, He is giving a remedy for this sin. Satan or the serpent here representative of the sin is going to be crushed by the woman's seed. Who is the woman's seed? There's only been ever one born of the seed of a woman. Or as Isaiah would call it and Matthew, Mark and Luke would call it a virgin. To be born of a virgin. This is the prophecy, the first prophecy of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to be the remedy for sin. In his death on the cross, he would receive that deadly bite by the serpent. Satan would have, he would be the one to work this, he would be the one to push this, and it would, it would accommodate, they would, the people of the time would accommodate him in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus and the killing of the Lord there. They would, they would do that work of murdering Jesus. But in that moment, in him giving himself for that, he would crush Satan, and he would crush the power of sin in his death, taking our place in our stead, taking the punishment of our sin upon himself and giving unto his people his righteousness that we would be made that righteousness before the throne of God. And so we have here, because of Adam and Eve's sin, we have here the prophecy of the remedy of that sin in the coming of the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm going to stop here because I'm not going to get through the rest of it today. And we'll take this back up on Sunday as we consider uh, not only the, um, the promise of the Messiah, but then what would take place after that. And we have a wonderful picture, and it is just a picture of salvation. God providing for Adam and Eve a fit covering. But leaves weren't good enough. He's going to provide them a covering of skin. But in order to give them that covering of skins, of animal skins, death would have to come. And so we have the first recorded death because of sin uh, and the covering of Adam and Eve. And then we'll, we'll, we'll take that up, Lord willing, on Sunday afternoon. So let's all stand and we'll be dismissed.